Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good Shabbos and welcome. Thank you for joining us. The um, Torah, for, Torah portion for this morning is filled with so many things, <clears throat> it's actually hard to choose what to talk about, but I have chosen. So hopefully it was a good choice. It occurred to me that um, in the minds of many people, that religion more often than not is a source not of, un of unifying things, but dividing things. It divides peoples. In fact, you probably could have a good example to show how religion may in fact divide people by looking at the amount of religious organizations that work towards cooperation. In the many interfaith programs that I have gone to in my life, more than I can even begin to count. I am as guilty of this as anybody else is, because when I get, am invited to talk and I stand up, I always have to first say that religion, even differences of religions, that there are things that ultimately connect and bring people together. And if we didn't have to say it so often, it's probably a proof in point that most people don't believe it. For Jews, of course, religion is something that not only unites us, but also in the eyes of many, it also divides us. It's very true, certainly, in North America. It is doubly true in Israel that as an idea, being Jews is something that is unifying to us, but our Judaism is something that is very dividing amongst us. And so what I want to do is reflect on perhaps an idea or two in the Ten Commandments that can show how utterly wrong, how distant those thoughts are, in fact, from what religion is supposed to be and do. <clears throat> the, uh, the Torah reading for this morning and the Ten Commandments that are over above my head that are found in almost every synagogue, it is the great symbol of being in a synagogue, begins this morning with these words, I'll read them for you. And God spoke to Moses saying, That I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. It's a strange introduction, of course, to the Ten Commandments. A lot of the biblical commentators struggle to understand its point in the context because on some level it communicates that the people didn't know who took them out of Egypt. That is almost as if God is saying, hi, remember me? You know, every time you think about when you left Egypt, think of me. So this act of what we would call in Hebrew of hikarut, of God introducing itself to people, is the introductory moment that the reflection upon everything they went through in being in Egypt and leaving Egypt, that that is all attributed to God. And then we go to number two. Number two, and just for the record, I have to be honest. <laughs> there is great disagreement about how many commandments they are. We generally refer to the Ten Commandments. Uh, there is great disagreement, in fact, which are counted in this whole utterance thing in the commandments themselves. The differences, there are great differences between the Jewish version of the Ten Commandments the Roman Catholic version of the Ten Commandments, the Protestant Lutheran version of the Ten Commandments, even amongst rabbinic authorities, not surprising, there are differences in terms of where a commandment begins and where a commandment ends, in part because, because in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, in, in Torah, in the, in the Torah, the Hebrew has no commas or periods. 
So how could you possibly know where a sentence begins and where a sentence ends? Okay, but number two. <laughs> that said, let's go to number two. Lo ta'aselecha fesel v'chot mona asher b'shamayim ima'al v'yashir ba'aretz mitachat v'yashir ba'mayim mitachat ba'aretz. Basically saying that we'll make no graven images, no pictures, no statues representing God on this earth. Now, on some level, this is an easy explained thing. I remember what is years ago now. When I was in the army, and one of the guys in my unit got a letter from his girlfriend. This is before cell phones and internet and all those other things, email. And he opened up the letter, and he kissed it. <laughs> he kissed it. It's no different that uh, people who hold on to pictures, particularly of people who are no longer alive, and they hold them close, sometimes in their shirt pockets all the time, or they keep them by their bed table and they kiss them before they go to bed at night. The thought that material things can be something of an intermediary between the things that we feel and the thing that we can no longer see is not a distant idea for us. We know it's real, that we use things to help us materialize what we feel and what we believe. The Torah warns us that we're not supposed to do that, that we're not supposed to use things as intermediaries between us and God. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is, <clears throat> in the minds of many, many biblical scholars, that this idea, in fact, is the most radical of all biblical concepts. And there are many radical ones in the Torah, but this, by far, is the greatest of all the radical ideas. And that is this. It's saying to us that there can be no intermediaries. Because in the ancient world, in ancient Egypt, ancient Mesopotamia, but certainly in ancient Egypt, there were intermediaries for God. Those intermediaries for God were not just statues or images. They were also human beings. These human beings were the intermediaries, the icons of God's representation on this world. We know that every pharaoh, certainly from the 18th and 19th dynasty, where the story of the, of the Israelites in Egypt occurs, the, all of their names begin with the name Ra. Ra, of course, is the Egyptian sun god that was the primary deity in Egypt. The pharaohs were viewed as gods on earth. Both the emissaries, the intermediaries, and the representatives of God on this earth. And so on some level, what the Torah is saying is not that there'll be just one person who will be the intermediary of God. But the Torah on some level is representing that there is a democratization of every human being being the representative of God. Because when we look back early on in the story, of course, in the story of Genesis, we read this remarkable idea that we are told that every human being that humanity was created, B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. 
The word Selim in Hebrew and the word Pesel in Hebrew is the exact same word. Selim, which is used that we are in the image of God. Pesel, which is used in the Ten Commandments for creating images of God, are exactly the same thing. We're not allowed to make images of God, be it in the form of a human being, making a human into God, or making images out of stone or wood or color, whatever it is, we are not allowed to make intermediary images of God. So here's the problem. In the Talmud, we are told of a great rabbi, and I know what you're thinking. All rabbis are great, I know, but this one was really great. In the Talmud, we are told of a rabbi who was a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. His name was Ben Azai. Ben Azai asked the question, if we're not allowed to make intermediaries of God, be it inanimate or animate, how can we have children? Why is it that the very first, the very first mitzvah in the Torah is that you should multiply and fill the world. He said that it is a direct contradiction of the first commandment, that we're not supposed to have intermediaries of God, that human beings, which are images of God, how can we have children? By note, I should also say, Ben Azai was a bachelor his entire life. His uh, contemporary rabbi said, you speak a lot, but you don't actually do what you say which is a warning to everyone who speaks for a living, I have to add. <laughs> but he asked the question. And the answer? The answer carries about 2,000 years after Ben Isai dies. It comes from the pen of one of the most important theologians, philosophers of the 20th century. His name was Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Heschel writes this. He says, there is no problem or contradiction as to why human beings should give birth to children even though we are commanded not to make any representations of God. And that is because every human being is a representation of God. Which is to say this, the only representations that God will permit of it on this world is us. Only we can be the representatives of God. Not stone and not wood and not paintings or drawings or designs. God specifically elects human beings alone to be the representative and image of God in this world. I began this morning by saying to you that some people suggest, and in fact many think, more than just a few suggest, and accuse religion of being a dividing thing. And I want to be honest with you. There are things in every religion that are elitist and that are prejudiced and that are certainly dividing amongst people and peoples. But in the mix of all the voices, there is a larger voice that reminds us of the greatness that human beings share amongst with each other. To be added to, if I could say, that the ancient rabbis in commenting on this morning's Torah portion where Moses asks of God, where can God be seen? 
And God, according to the Midrash, the Tanchuma says to Moses, wherever you see the footprints of other human beings, that's where you see me. I pray that's what we'll see every time we see another human being. Shabbat Shalom.